look at this passage. It's one thing that is very plain in the New Testament, and that is that Jesus Christ expects every single one that knows and loves him to be involved in witnessing to him, sharing the gospel, telling others of Christ, because the whole world needs to know, and there's billions of them, and it's our responsibility to tell them. If you were doing a systematic study of Matthew's Gospel, you would find up till this point the focus has very considerably been on Jesus, who Jesus is, how Jesus does things, what he's come to do. But in chapter 10, there's a wee bit of a turning point comes. It's a kind of hinge chapter. Because it's as if when it comes to chapter 10, Jesus sits down for a minute and says, Now, I've told you what I'm doing. Now it's up to you to do it. And so I want you to learn to be involved in taking the gospel out into the world. And so in chapter 10, he's saying to every one of us that loves Jesus, your turn, your turn to get up and go, your turn to be involved in proclaiming the gospel. And so that's what we're here as a challenge from this word tonight to take on board, that God is challenging each of us to find our place in taking the gospel to this world. Notice then, first of all, in verses 1 to 4, The emphasis is simply on the fact that Jesus calls us. He's the instigator of it. He called his twelve disciples to him, it says. Jesus calls us. Note, first of all then, he calls us to himself. That's where it begins, isn't it? When we hear Jesus calling us, come on, come to me. All you who labour and heavy laden, all you that are fed up and burned out, all you that are stressed out, all that you are convicted of sin and feeling guilty and so on, come on, you come to me. That's where it begins. It begins when we come to Christ, when we hear that call. For me, as I've just testified, when I was 16 years old, all these years ago, eh, coming to Christ. Can't be servants of Christ till we've come to Christ. We can't go out with the gospel till we've come to Christ. And so, first of all, the call always is to come to Jesus. But then notice his call is very much to come and to follow him. Here the emphasis is that he called twelve disciples, one of the perfect numbers in the Bible. Twelve tribes of Israel, twelve disciples, and so on. And here Jesus is calling twelve. Not many, just a few, just a dozen. But he's saying, you have to come, you have to begin. I'm going to build the church through just you. You might be small, you might be few, you might be pathetic, you might be untrained. But I'm going to do it through you. I call you to follow me. Now, of course, the thing about following is you go where Jesus goes. You trot along behind. You follow his leading. 
And so I went into the Church of Scotland ministry, as you heard, straight from school, straight to university, straight into the ministry, which of course, as you know, means I've only ever worked for two hours in my whole life each, each week on a Sunday, because that's all ministers do, isn't it? But when it came to be time for me to look for a church, I was saying to God, 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 I want to be in the middle of Scotland, in some dirty, smelly wee mining town. That's where I want to be. That's what I believe I'd be good at. And God came close and he said, Do you go to Kinloch-Berby? Your people are scattered on the mountains, is what he said to me, from the word of God. Kinloch-Berby? Where is it? <laughs> and I looked it up in the map and it was as far away from the central belt of Scotland as you could possibly conceive. And far from being dirty and smelly, it had the freshest air you could ever hope to encounter anywhere. But what do you do? He calls you to follow. You follow, don't you? And we were there for nearly ten years and I said... God, I love Scotland. I want to spend my whole life in Scotland. I love serving you in Scotland. And he comes close and he says, Now it's... It's Korea. Where's Korea? <laughs> it's halfway around the world. And they speak funny. And they eat funny things. And I don't like that. But God said, Korea... So what you do, when he says follow, what you do, you follow, don't you? You go where he leads you and guides you. So we were there for 15 years and came home. But you know, I remember my Kinloberby days. And I remember while we were away up in the northwest of Scotland, in the remotest village in Scotland, I remember saying, so, well, God, I'm really thankful I'm not on the island of Lewis. Because I can, I can go anywhere I like from Kenlaverby if I get fed up. So I'm really thankful I'm not in Lewis. And when we come home from Edinburgh, and we were wondering where God would send us next, he came close and he said, It's Lewis now. <laughs> so what you do? He calls us to follow him, you see. And you go where he tells you. Because that's what a disciple is, the Bible says. It's the first basic meaning of being a disciple. A disciple is somebody that follows Jesus wherever, to do whatever he says. William Barclay writes, It's possible to be a follower of Jesus without being a disciple. To be a camp follower without being a soldier of the king. To be a hanger-on in some great work without pulling one's weight. Once someone was talking to a great scholar about a younger man. He said, so-and-so tells me he's one of your students. The teacher answered devastatingly. He may have attended my lectures, but he's not one of my students. There's a world of difference between attending lectures and being a student. It's one of the supreme handicaps of the church, that in the church there are so many distant followers of Christ and so few disciples. 
And so he calls us to follow, to be his disciples, to be learners. Because that's the other word disciple means, isn't it? To be learners with him. And so he calls us to follow. And he calls us in order to send us. That's what it says there in verses 1 and 2 as he sends them out with the gospel. As I said, God called us to go to Korea. And it's a very dangerous thing always to go to a missionary meeting. We had missionary meetings in our church in Kinlaberby. And OMF came up there and I remember one night sitting at the feet of Dick Dowsett. He's a great big humping fellow. And I was ended up sitting immediately under the lectern on a child's seat, extremely crouched down. God engineers humility eh, for us very well. And as Dick preached and thumped the pulpit about the needs of the world mission, God began to speak a challenge into my heart right there. And at the end of that meeting, he said, you know, OMF really needs Presbyterian ministers to go to Korea to teach expository preaching. And I got up the next morning and I said, God, I hope that wasn't you. (laughs) Uh, And I think I'll make sure it wasn't you. So today, if that was you, somebody else will mention Korea to me. And if nobody mentions Korea to me, I'll know it wasn't you. And I was going in my car all day. And I didn't have a radio. (laughs) And I thought the only way you can get anybody to mention me to Korea is when I'm putting petrol in the car. The petrol pump attendant says, have you heard the news from Korea? (laughs) And I thought, I'm safe. I'll I'll get through this. And I can forget it. And I got to Glasgow Saint. And I was staying with a minister friend and we were drying the dishes and I was telling her about Dick's sermon, not mentioning the word, of course, just saying what he'd expounded from God's word. And my friend looked round from the the kitchen sink and he said, God's not calling you to Korea, is he? I had a dish in my hands. (laughs) And I'm a Christian and I nearly became un-Christian at that point with that dish. And God heard, and God went on, and I'll not tell you the rest of that story, but God calls clearly. And when you hear the call, it's a call to be sent, to go with him. And he calls you by name. That's the reason all these 12 names are there. Because when it calls, it's not, I'm calling you lot. It's not, I'm calling the people that are sitting in front of you. For the ones behind you, I'm calling you. And he says your name. And he knows your name. And it's you, and it's you, and it's you. And he calls us individually to go with him. And so we find the first big message here tonight is that Jesus calls every one of us to be involved in, somehow or other, going with the gospel of Jesus. Somebody wrote this, did is a word of achievement, won't is a word of retreat, might is a word of bereavement, can't 
is a word of defeat. Ought is a word of duty. Try is a word for each hour. Well is a word of beauty. Can is a word of power. God calls. Jesus calls us to go with him. Second big truth we learn in this little section this evening is when Jesus calls, Jesus equips. Jesus equips us. Because I know what happens every time God calls anybody, unless you're a really naive young Christian that knows nothing like I was when God called me at the ministry, once you become a mature Christian and God calls you to do something, the first thought you have is, I can't. Oh, I can't do that. And Lewis is saying, oh, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. No. I can't. And you see, the Bible always says, but you can't. Because God's not going to call you without equipping you. God's not going to ask you to do something without giving you what you need to do it. And that's what we have narrated for us in the opening verse. He called the twelve, and then what does it say? And gave them. Gave them authority to drive out evil spirits. He gave them authority to heal every disease and sickness. He gave them what they needed to do it. He gave them power to deal with evil. He gave them a gospel that could bring forgiveness into people's lives. He gave them a gospel that meant they could drive out evil in people's hearts when they found it. He gave them power to deal with evil. He gave them power to heal, to bring healing to people's sicknesses. And that's an area we've so much neglected and forgotten about our cost in so much of the church. But it gives you the necessary things so that you can do whatever it is he asks you to do. He equips you for the job. When I applied to OMF to go to Korea, I was 35 years old. And everybody knows that's too old to be a missionary and to learn a foreign language. It's certainly too old to learn what's probably one of the hardest languages in the whole world. OMF makes you do a horrible test. It's a language aptitude test. And there's a tape recorder sits there with all kinds of questions and tests. And you have to keep up with the tape recorder. But it goes too fast. And you seriously want to smash it. (laughs) But it's all designed to see how you cope under stress. Because if you're going to learn a foreign language, it's going to be really stressful. And when they added up my results for that test, they said, well, you know, we wouldn't even dream of sending you unless you had this amazingly strong, clear call. But because you've got that call, we're going to send you, but I'm sorry, you know, language aptitude, it doesn't exist. (laughs) 
So what do you do? What does God do? Through two years, through two years of eight hours a day of absolutely tear-ridden, shaking hell, it gets you to the point where you can speak and preach and teach for 12-hour sessions in Korean. Because God equips you. And he calls, he equips. Whatever is to work with, he equips. Whatever you need, for whatever he asks you to do, he will give that to you. So you can't ever say can't. It's not a word you can say when God calls. And so there's the second thing, this Jesus who calls us is the Jesus who equips us. But then we find also, and thirdly, that the Jesus that's described in this passage is also the Jesus who prepares us. Just one or two points to help us here. What kind of things does Jesus advise these twelve disciples to do when they go out? Well, the first thing I would suggest he advises them to do is, if you're going to go out and do something for Jesus and he's called you to do it, it's quite good to target your audience. Know who you're going to. Know what you're going to do. He says, says that to them. He says, now just go to the lost sheep of Israel. Don't bother with the Gentiles. Don't bother with the Samaritans. Not this time. Go to the lost tribe of Israel. Target your audience. Know who you're going to. That's a very biblical thing. Jesus was actually being quite biblical there. He, he usually is quite biblical, I think, really. <laughs> but he was being very biblical because the Bible says you should take the gospel first to the Jews because they deserve it because they were the womb out of which Jesus came. And none of us would have Jesus if it wasn't for the Jews and the appalling things that they've gone through to produce that for us. And so always take the gospel first to the Jews. But he was also saying here, look, target your audience. We had a really joyful time in the Stormy High Church not so long ago. Some people turned up in church a few, uh, in the town a few days before Sunday and one of them asked to preach. And I'm always a bit wary of that. But, but somebody said, he's really, really good. It's okay. And he was the representative of Christian Surfers UK. I'd never heard of that organisation. But you know, there was somebody with a target audience, surfers. 350,000 surfers, you know, in Britain. And that was his ministry, to target surfers. Once in Korea, a young Korean Christian came up to me and he says, I'm director of the World Terminal Mission. And I'm racking my brains for the word for cancer. So as I could ask some intelligent question. You know, the terminal mission, terminal patients and so on. Fortunately, I couldn't remember the word for cancer because what he was doing was handing out tracts in bus terminals. <laughs> and he had a vision to have a mission that would target bus terminals and rail terminals and airport terminals with the gospel. I would never have thought of that. I would never have taken on board to be 
the director of the world terminal mission. But that's Koreans, of course, they think. But there he had his target audience, you see. Target. When God called me to Korea, I told you the whole story, it was specifically to teach expository preaching to Korean pastors. That was the target audience. And so I went off to Korea not knowing how to do it, if they needed it, how to begin. And then God took over and it began. I was asked to lead a prayer meeting in, in, in Seoul. And I began to preach in English, obviously, at that stage, teaching systematically, expository style through Jonah. And some pastors came to that. And they said, will you, will, will you teach us? Will you show us how to do that? And I said, but I can hardly speak Korean yet. Oh, it's all right, one of us can speak English, they said. Come along, and I did. All the Korean I could say at that time was, hello and how are you, and isn't it a nice day? And so I prepared my first Bible study in the book of Ruth. I thought, we'll start with a short one. And I got there, and the bloke that could speak English, well, he could say, hello, it's a nice day, and how are you? That was it. And we got, we got going somehow or other, struggling along with my limited Korean and their limited English. And after a few weeks and months, I said, why do you come? What's the point? Do you learn anything here? I was learning how to teach them and what they needed, but why did you come? Oh, they said, in 1980 we attended a seminar on expository preaching and we began to pray that God would send somebody to help us. When did you begin to pray? Oh, in October 1980, they said. And I said, well, it was in October 1980 that God spoke to me and Colonel Perkins. And we wept together that night because we realised that the God that hears prayers in Korea could answer the same prayer in Kilnoberg and brought us together. And they said, you might be rubbish, but you're what God sent. <laughs> and we'll stay with you meanwhile. We'll stick to you because God has sent you. And that was my target audience. And that's the work that I did for 12 years in that country. And God enabled me to touch hundreds of pastors' lives who touched thousands of Christians in Korea and sought to brought them into a more biblical perspective. Target audience. Who's your target audience? Who are the people you can touch for Jesus? We need to target people for Christ. Second thing he says here to these men is you need to preach a clear message. It's very short, wasn't it? The kingdom of heaven is near. How's that for a short sermon? You'd be quite glad if preachers would just stick to that kind of thing occasionally and you could get home earlier. But there was a short, clear message. The kingdom of God. God wants to be your king. God wants to come into your life. God wants to rule in your life. God wants to be in charge. God wants to transform you. God wants to bring heaven into your life. And so on. Preach a clear, simple message, he said to them. And then he went on, thirdly, to tell them, of course, if you are going to preach the gospel, You need to demonstrate it. You need to demonstrate your faith. 
And in verses 8 to 13, he, he, he points that out in different ways. He says, expect signs and wonders to happen. Expect things to be, to be seen in the ministry that you do. Expect to do the things that Jesus did. Well, at least expect folks to come to Christ. If you can't go beyond that in your faith, expect signs and wonders. Go with that expectancy in your heart and in your life. Trust God to provide. Don't be taking a whole heap of stuff with you. Trust God to provide. You see, you can't say to people, if you trust in God, he'll give you everything you need. If you've got everything that you need and more, we need sometimes to show that we trust him like we're asking them to do. And we don't have anything or don't have enough. And so don't be taking a heap of stuff. People put food down in front of you. Eat it, whatever it is, even if it moves, even if it's not cooked. Whatever, eat it, because you have to trust God to provide what he's done for you. God will provide. We had an incredible test in that area once in our time, well, more than once, but once specifically, my children ended up going to boarding school in England. And the way it worked when the first one went was that the mission paid for it. But then when the second and third one came, the policy changed. And suddenly we found ourselves, a long complicated story, having to commit our children to boarding school in England. And we would have to pay for number two and number three. I don't know, MF, you didn't ever tell anybody about money problems. You couldn't put it in a prayer letter. You couldn't mention it in a speech. You couldn't tell anybody unless they asked you. And I'm telling you, Scottish Christians don't ask too much about money. <laughs> you know. But God led us very clearly to do that. And I said, well, God, if I'm going to do that, I've got to have the money for each term before the term begins or I'll crack up. And he gave us the money every term before it began. It came bits and pieces. But one year it jumped £3,000 in one year. And we just scraped through that year with the skin of our teeth. And the next year, a letter came in from the school for various reasons. It was going to jump another £5,200. And I didn't have any faith left to even ask God for that. And it was six weeks till I was going home in furlough and I was scared to death that on furlough and when I was asked to preach at Charlotte Chapel, I would let it slip that I needed £5,200. <laughs> and you would have given it to me, of course. But God knew that and God took the temptation of that away because the week after we got that letter, a letter came from a grant we'd applied to several years before that we'd forgotten about saying they were going to give us £600. And the next week there was another letter came from a friend in Scotland who'd written several weeks before but it had got stuck saying she felt compelled to send us £500 for our children's education. Next week I went to the post office a little bit more quickly than the previous two weeks <laughs> and there was a letter from my father-in-law and my father-in-law handled the money at this end for us and he said, I've just received £3,000 anonymously for your children 
And the next week, there was another letter. It was from a teacher in our girls' school who'd been at a conference and convicted by God for his children got special discounts. And so he said, we've picked your youngest, we're going to give her a thousand pounds a year till she's finished. And if you add up your sums, that's five thousand one hundred pounds. And the day we were leaving Korea, a pastor came to see us off at the airport and he gave me an envelope and he says, that's for your children. And I went straight to the money changing booth because you couldn't take Korean money out of the country. And they gave me a hundred pounds. God provides. God provides. You see, anything you need, God provides. We have to demonstrate our faith. But then thirdly, you see, Jesus says here, and if you're going to proclaim the gospel, you're to be a people that pass on the peace. Wherever you go, leave your peace. If they'll accept it, receive it. That's fine. If they won't accept it, take it back. But you have to pass on the peace. It's what you are. It's what you're like. It's what you do. It's your attitude. It's your priority that will speak as loudly as the words that you say for Christ. And so one day I'd bought a briefcase was a really nice briefcase. It was one of these fiberglass briefcases. And it cost 20,000 won. It sounds a lot of money, doesn't it? It's not quite as much as it sounds. But for an OMF missionary, it was a lot. And I was really pleased with it. And I got it home and the handle fell off. <laughs> and I took it straight back to the stall in the market where I'd bought it. I said, look, I paid 20,000 pounds for this. And the handle's falling off. What are you going to do about it? And he said, it's okay. We'll send it off. We'll have it back in 10 days and it'll be perfectly fixed. And I said, do you really mean 10 days? Because 10 days in Korea is quite a flexible uh, length of time. And I yes, yes, absolutely. It'll be here in 10 days. So 10 days later, I got in the bus. It was July. It was 96 degrees. It's the sweaty season in Korea. And I got in the bus and there were no seats and I had to stand and there were roadblocks on the road and it took an hour to get into the market. And I went to the stall and I said, have you got my briefcase? And he says, no, it hasn't come yet. <laughs> and I said, but you promised. And I've come all this way today. And I, I need it and I have to have it and I, I'm really mad and I want it now. And he, he said, that's okay, just sit down. The bet came, we just haven't put it on yet. Just sit there. And he sent the girl in the shop away to get a cup of tea for me. And he and his wife, and this is literally what happened, stood on either side of me. We are newspaper and they found me. <laughs> and where do you come from? They said, Oh, I come from Scotland. Oh, where's that? Is it near Finland? No, it's above England, you know. And, and uh, what you come to do? How could you tell them what you've come to do? How could anybody tell them what they've come to do when you'd gone into that place and it wasn't a peace you took, but anger, 
spelling over from your life, denying the very gospel you were there to represent. And they were Buddhists and they needed to hear about Jesus. And how could I tell them about Jesus? Because I didn't pass on the peace. Jesus says, pass on the peace. Watch your life. Make sure you <coughs> represent what you teach and preach. Now you let me down. And so Jesus says, demonstrate your faith in these different ways. Finally, he says, And if you are going to target your audience and try to tell people about Jesus, expect rejection. Not everybody's going to have it. Some folks are going to hate you for it. Some folks are going to absolutely spit in your face because you've tried to tell them. In some cases, it will be appropriate to shake the dust off your feet and to go on your way because... They need to know that in rejecting you, they're rejecting Christ and they're calling judgment on themselves. And you need to be able sometimes to demonstrate that. But there will be occasions, and there are occasions for many missionaries on the field, that when rejection is met, rejection has to be taken on board and stuck through until the day will come when some of these people will accept the gospel. But we need to expect it. And so what does Jesus do for us tonight? He calls us individually, specifically, by name, to be involved in proclaiming the gospel. He can't say can't, because this Jesus equips absolutely equips you for whatever he asks you to do. And you can't say can't because he gives us such lovely practical advice on how we need to organise our hearts and our lives so that we can do it as he prepares us to go with that gospel. And so the challenge at the end of this morning's sermon is the same challenge that comes at the end of the evening one as we tie them both together. You can't just sit there. You can't fiddle around with Christ. You can't play around with Jesus. You have to get involved. You have to get out there. And you have to do it. Whatever it is, is saying to you to do for him and the gospel. Let's pray together.